Hey folks, Neil here. Before we get started, I thought I'd let you know that in this episode, which is very long, at the end we talk about a noble cause that we are asking everybody to contribute to, if they are willing, uh, to help someone get some hearing aids that they desperately need. Uh, so if you don't want to listen to us yammer all the way, if you want to, go to the end of the episode and you can get the details for this important drive. So, on that note, here we go! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Ampersand and Sons with your hosts, Julian Finn, the nicest man of Canada, and me, the ridiculous, rambunctious, vulgar, and unfunny Neil Bailey. How you doing, Julian? I'm doing fantastic. That might be the cruelest and yet most possibly Canadian <laughs> opening you could have given to yourself. Like, that's, that's self-deprecation, I'm pretty sure, is one of our exports to the world. Well, I, I, I should probably explain. Uh, I think that's going to be our new opening tagline going forward because um, we got our first pieces of reviews, like our first our first notice. Did we really? Uh, and and it, Yeah, it absolutely wasn't Snyder Bros brigading us for our opinions on Snyder at all. Um, it, it must be because our, our podcast is, is a two-star podcast. But if you go to iTunes and you look at our reviews... Um, there are some wonderfully not biased at all looks at what we do here. Um, and, and I figured I'd just read one of them as kind of like a, a highlight. Oh, please, you, you, please. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, okay, all right. So here we go. This is from uh, Mario500 from iTunes. And he says, this is, quote, uh, I had found certain parts of this series of recordings to had been ridiculous, rambunctious, vulgar, and unfunny. Fair, fair. <laughs> And I think I think that's absolutely what we're going for. So we did it, Julian. I, I <laughs> like, I'm going to call that. I'm, I I mean I am honored that we are worthy of two stars. Um, right, right. I I was pretty sure there was going to be some some brigading and and <laughs> like the fact that we're at two says great things about our yes. potential. We've got to, we've got to get to two instead of one. I have to thank you know our technical staff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll have to thank um, you know the, the the man behind everything, uh, which is which is, well the men behind everything really. I mean it's it's I've got to thank Julian and I've got to thank Neil. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, without them, we couldn't have gotten this far. Yeah. No. I <laughs> I I mean it leaves us room to improve, but we're not as bad as we could be. <laughs> That's right, yeah, and we don't actually have to try any harder. Yeah. Because, you know, with two stars, like, like, what do we care? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't no, know. Kidding, I don't know that that's the lesson that we should take away from this, but uh no, that's phenomenal. No, no, no. I'm glad that we have reviews. I, so if you have hate mail, yeah. you may absolutely send it to me. Please do at Neil at NeilBailey.com, which is my actual email address. N-E-A-L at N-E-A-L Bailey. B-A-I-L-E-Y dot com, and you might just get on the air. Um, and and but, if you've got hate mail for me, send it to Neil at NeilBailey.com. Neil <laughs> Neil That's right. Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to read it. Uh. Yeah, no, we will, uh, we, you know, I think what we should do is we should give our hate mail uh, star ratings. Uh, yes. In the, same, in the same fashion. But all right, so that is a tangential bit of funny. Um, I'm funny. And, yeah, <laughs> unfunny, rambunctious. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was glorious. Right. Uh, it, I had been. Can we um, can we put that as the tagline for the 
podcast moving forward ampersand and signs with thinking, that list of yeah, adjectives I, I, I was considering about making an advertisement oh. because i've got this wonderful graphic of superman who's and his eye exploding outward uh where he's kind of screaming and i was gonna have him scream ampersand and sons. So we could put that quote in block letters right next to it i don't know if steve will let me get away with it but it'd certainly be funny it would be glorious um, all right yes. so um so, what would you like to talk about today well, today, I figured we'd do part six of our three-part review of the Snyder Cut, because what happened was life got in the way, and uh, for reasons that aren't worth going into, we now have one week until Superman and Lois comes back, when we did have six weeks and we missed a couple podcasts, you know, because, you know, when you're two-star, <laughs> you know, we gotta miss a couple every now and again. But no, actually, it really was life things that got in the way, it wasn't that we weren't living up to what we were trying to do, um... But yeah, we only have one leak left, and I think I speak for the both of us when 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 I say I am tired of talking about Zack Snyder. I am, <laughs> um, although but, although I hear good things about his new zombie flick on Netflix. Yeah, no, I'm actually probably gonna gonna watch that just because um, you know part of me wants to be like there has to be some reason people call him visionary. I I, um, I do want to talk about two pieces of. Um, just briefly before we jump back into Snyder, because there, there's two pieces of media that I consumed uh, in the last couple of weeks. One was excellent and one was wildly disappointing. And the one with, that was wildly disappointing was wildly disappointing because I have a personal connection to it. And we may at some point in the future revisit it together uh, to talk about why it was such a letdown, because I think it's important and it's uh, reflective kind of a reflection of where Netflix is going with its originals that is worrisome to me. Um, but I watched both Invincible Season 1, all of it. I waited until the finale had dropped before I binged it. Um, and uh, I got through the first episode and a half of Jupiter's Legacy before I tapped in. Um, <laughs> and I was expecting really big things from Jupiter's Legacy, I hadn't read the comics, but I, I'm a Mark Miller fan, and I'd heard that it was exceptionally good. And I've been a sucker for what Netflix has done with its sort of comic book tangential properties, like um, uh, all of the Marvel shows that they did, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, even, even Luke Cage I liked. Um, uh, even Iron Fist I liked, for that matter. Uh, Umbrella Academy is brilliant. It's probably one of my favorite things that I've consumed. So I went into it with, with high expectations and it just felt like something that was created by people who are not aware that a revolution in comic book storytelling has been occurring over the last decade. And <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what went wrong with it. I'd be curious, and I do have a connection, so I may be able to ask some questions about it from that person as to what went wrong with it, but it was highly disappointing. Whereas on the flip side of it, uh, Invincible, which is based on a Robert Kirkman comic um, and is basically the what if Superman actually turned out to be a Nazi um, and had a son who was not, uh, is, is kind of the core thread behind it is amazing it's on amazon prime it's glorious it's violent it's funny it is thematically interesting it's complicated i i haven't been that entertained by a cartoon since i was like eight and we used to watch them on saturday mornings have you read the uh, actual comic i have they're glorious 
Yeah, I read the comic book, I think, through 40 issues, and I stopped, I think, at the time when they were new because I couldn't afford other trades, and it was like that or Walking Dead and my usual books. Right. Um, but I remember it very fondly. I can't remember too many details, but I'm planning on watching it. But I think it would be good to go into because it relates pretty directly with everything that we're kind of seeking to talk about here because we have a superman that's bright and optimistic and superman and lois and we're contrasting that for example to the kind of um less bright and optimistic superman of the snyder universe versus the broader impulse of people now to be telling stories of superheroes that are you know like the nazi superman although to be fair <laughs> to um, be fair the to be fair, the Nazi Superman analog in both The Boys and uh, Invincible predates, you know, Zack Snyder by a long shot because The Boys started in, what, 2006? It does, and the, the difference is, is they both do it as a deconstruction and do yes. it well. Yes, and they don't treat it as, this is the way it would really happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, I love The Boys, but The Boys is meant to be a vulgar, rambunctious, funny. <laughs> um, but it, it's meant to be a, a comical deconstruction of superheroes in the same way that Watchmen was a serious deconstruction of superheroes. Yeah. Right. And and I've always admired that uh, the, the way that um Ennis is able to you know he he sometimes he goes on a little long with these kind of things like the de his his ability to deconstruct though is almost unparalleled uh in comics whether it's your jam or not is a thing yeah. that, that a lot of people take and, issue. And and Invincible but, is very much a straight-laced um exploration of the same what what makes invincible interesting is in this deconstruction of superheroes you have an actual earnest superhero yes you have several actually it's just it's more a deconstruction of superman than anything else and what it would be like if that character was awful <laughs> if i remember it as well as I think I do, it seems like a uh, a prolonged version of Action Comics 775, like a long term, like this is what an idealistic character would do if he were in a world suddenly with the elite. Yeah. Um, you know, like and, and had to just live with the elite. Um, and, you know, that's there's something to be said for that being told as a Superman story, but we've seen it too in action comic seven seventy five. Um, so I think that, um, I think that that is absolutely though, something that we should focus on is, um, the way that these stories have been deconstructed recently and why it, it, it's almost like post post modern or getting to the point of where it's, it's almost, like, um, it's to the point of where it was parody, and now it's becoming story, and then it's becoming parody again. It's weird. It's kind of like, like once you've gone to the point of where you've, you, you're, you're navel-gazing a little bit, the onion just keeps unpeeling and unpeeling and unpeeling, and I wonder when it's going to get old for folks, or if it will ever get old, and we'll just end up with, like, a new pantheon. Like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were a parody, and now they're a, you know, they're a serious No, but I don't, mainstay, I don't think you know? we will, because once upon a time, Todd McFarlane basically tried to do that with Image Comics, and it didn't last yeah. very long. 
Yeah, that's true. Right? Like that that but, that wasn't the stated purpose of Image Comics, but that's what we got. We got let's make superheroes and comic books gritty and because basically what they were doing was in response to the way DC and Marvel were treating their creatives. McFarlane went and started his own label with a couple of other people, if I'm remembering correctly. And without editorial oversight of those creatives, it turned out that what they really wanted to do was tell super dark, super violent stories where the, you know, bodily appendages of everybody involved were exaggerated relative to the laws of physics. Um. (laughs) And there was an asterisk, though. There was also the asterisk, which is like Image Comics was all of that asterisk and the max. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. if you, you know, if you read the max, the max has never really fit into that universe. It was always just this wonderful, beautiful, artistic piece that kind of stood apart. And I cannot believe that, that, um, that, uh, it isn't something that we're still talking about as much as we're talking about, say, Invincible, you know? Yeah. But, but even, even uh, Invincible is pretty niche. Like the fact that it's got this beautiful, rich, adaptation made that's faithful to the comic books and the voice cast is unbelievably good like i haven't checked yet but was that uh seth rogan who did the voice of um oh what's his name the alien that keeps coming to earth to fight uh who it thinks you know i honestly don't know i haven't seen it yet i am told that i must watch it or die but that's my plan this week is to actually get into it i would agree with that you must watch it or die it's that's right it's gloriously glorious uh jk sivens does the voice of ultra uh, not ultraman um uh, the dad the dad yeah, that doesn't surprise me. He would like the minute you said it, I was like, that is absolutely that dad character. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's just super hyper well done. And what I loved about it, I, and I was thinking about the Snyder Cut while I was watching it, is you're telling this dark, violent, cynical. I mean, the the primary antagonist in the story at one point tells his son who loves him and is horrified by who this person turns out to be in reality, not to spoil it for anybody. Um, you know, of course, I loved your mother like I love a pet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's very much playing in a playground that Snyder would feel very comfortable telling stories in, but it's bright and lush and treats its characters that aren't supposed to be awful as not awful and noble and idealistic by contrast, and that's what makes it more enjoyable to watch. Huh. That the bad. Yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. I mean, I think that it's one of those things. Like, part of me is suffering from fatigue of seeing the dark hero thing, but also having known this media before, having heard it, I'm real curious to see how they adapt it to a television format. It's interesting. Um, it's, I also. It sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but and, and, oh, and we'll and we'll go back to I also, but um. It, it's guilty, if that's the right word, of the exact same thing that Snyder's Watchmen adaptation is guilty of, in that it's a slavish, faithful recreation of its source material. 
in a way that our other big Kirkman adaptation, The Walking Dead, obviously isn't. Um, <laughs> to put it mildly, after the season one. But I don't, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch Snyder's Watchmen because I, I couldn't put my finger on it while I was watching Invincible, but there was something happening while I was watching it where I was looking forward to seeing the beats that I had read in the comics because I knew that they were being faithful to it um, in a way that I wasn't watching that Watchmen adaptation. I was just bored because I wasn't being served up anything new. And I don't know why I have the same react or different reactions to two properties that took the same sort of faithful, overzealous ad adaptive technique to successful like there's nothing technically wrong with Snyder's Watchmen adaptation it's a basically unfilmable movie and he filmed it and it looks good and leaving out the pirate ship stuff doesn't really impact the movie in any negative way and and like it should have worked for it's, me it's a mistake to um to read a intention into an execution i know because I, I i the last thing i would want is people taking one of my nasty characters and and associating me with their behavior um and there is a divorce there nonetheless i think there is a compelling argument to be made for watchmen uh versus this invincible show i haven't seen obviously but um i think there's a compelling a compelling argument that could be made very very well during watchmen that that especially given outside comments from snyder about his perspective on the world that watchmen has an element of endorsement for the fascism and you can see yeah i would actually i was just thinking that it's almost so like when you read watchmen the comic book and this goes back to justice league where i feel like there's a sense of not understanding the parts that you're supposed to like about these characters versus the parts that you're not um yes. there's a sense in like the comic it's obvious that you are not supposed to like these characters. You are not supposed yes. to think that Owl or um, uh, Night Owl, is that his name? Yep. That yeah. Night Owl is noble. And, like you're supposed to see him as nebbishy and middle-aged and trying to recapture the glory of his youth. And you're not supposed to see the comedian as being remotely entertaining. He's a fascist. You're not supposed to see... Rorschach is anything but terrifying and unhinged and there's a nobility and joy that's granted those characters in the movie that is absent from the comic book and well, that might be it's, it it's also so when I was when I was 14 and read Watchmen for the first time um with an immature mind and with a with a very um very surface read of a lot of things in the same way that I read Shakespeare and didn't get half of the stuff when I was a younger man. I thought Rorschach was cool. And I thought night out was a washed up old man. And I thought he was just a, you know, and, um, now reading it as an older man now, not older, but you know, not decrepit, but <laughs> middle aged. Yes. Um, definitely rambunctious and funny, no doubt, but I'm funny. <laughs> right unfunny yeah did i say in funny well that's you know that's the beginning of dementia yeah, yeah but 
the I read it now, and I have a lot of sympathy for for Night Owl, and I have a lot of uh, condemnation for Rorschach uh, and his very surface, uh, almost biblical look at things. But I guess that's a, that's a testament to the character work because it can be so many things depending on what lens you apply to it or what you what you bring to it, and it, it, Snyder's version. Rorschach is undoubtedly played for cool factor. Yeah, the comedian uh, is is played as a, as a very sorrowful figure. Like, oh, how sad it is that he's dead. It's clear that he just he loved Sally Jupiter and and was misled. You know, like as opposed to what the comedian actually is, which I will not get graphic about. But it's fairly obvious what the comedian is yeah. on every level. There is no soft shoeing that. Um, I feel like you know, I feel yeah. like and I, and this ties back to this adaptation of Justice League. I feel like Rorschach Rorschach always gets read as um the Batman character in Watchmen. Yes. But I feel like his moral compass, his moral code, the black and whiteness of it is actually Moore's commentary on Superman. Yeah. Right. There is a right. There is a wrong. It's not hard to distinguish between the two. Bad guys get punished. Yeah. Is basically Rorschach summed up. And that is the the treatment that we get with Snyder's incarnation of Superman. Well, you also get, you know, there's there's what's said in the text and then there's like the other thing that you can like if you just step back and look at the movie with blurred eyes what's the most important scene for superman in that movie what's the thing that people remember it's the scene where superman is beating the holy bejesus out of the justice league and showing his power yeah you know there is that bit where he's part of the the killing of um steppenwolf and that's kind of a triumphant moment in a sense for Superman, but it is more the league entirely. The 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 only moments that are really focal on Superman are when he is when he is being stark raving evil and mad. Fair. Um, yeah. I and and you know the the inevitable counter to that will be well he's not there for most of the movie. It's like that's another commentary. Although, um, although going back to the Snyder cut, which is the focus of this, twenty-two minutes yeah. in, um, <laughs> this version of that scene, because of the elimination of what it turns out was Joss Whedon's very ill-advised uh, sort of end to all of that, where <laughs> he asks Batman, "Do you bleed?" and therefore shows <laughs> that he remembers everything and he is in full possession of his faculties and he's just really pissed off and wants to do some violence, you can still buy into the fact in the Snyder Cut that this is a um, completely confused, deranged, brought back from the dead, not thinking clearly, ultimate representation of his power without the restraint version of the character and therefore forgive him that scene <laughs> in a way that you can't in the theatrical. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's um... right. Like that was a dumb addition, and, and like I generally like Joss. I, we've talked about this before, for better or worse. I I am a fan of much of what Joss Whedon has done. I will be a Firefly fan until the day I die, and recommend it to everybody. <laughs> um, but that was like knowing that that was a Joss Whedon edition. That was stupid. Well, there's a lot of hand waving in the main movies. You know, like the the. Well, I say the main movies because the Wonder Woman movies are just as main. In the main movies in this thread that we're speaking of, yeah. I should be clear. The Superman to Justice League thread. There's a lot of, like, Man of Steel. Everybody hated the, the, the death of the civilians and the cavalier attitude towards the death and whatnot. So the next movie, they kind of wave their hands and like, oh, look, Bruce Wayne is actually trying to save all the civilians, you know? And, and then, you know, like, people don't like the... Do you bleed? So they make Batman into like a much softer heroic character that's actually uniting everybody. And, you know, like, and the Joss Whedon thing actually fits tonally in that sense, in the way that they're just like, yeah, we're just going to wave our hands whenever there's something in the plot that we've done that we don't like and don't want to do the work of fixing. Um, but the, but in, the, in, the do you bleed thing is only there <laughs> in the Whedon cut so that Batman can have that comic relief moment at the end where he's like, yep, definitely bleeding. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, which I just... The thing that the Snyder Cut does for me is it highlights how bad an idea the theatrical cut was. Right. Right? Like, what they should have done was put a pin in it, let him deal with whatever he needed to deal with, and let him come back and finish it. I understand it was supposed well, to be a big flagpole. I understand, but it didn't make its money back. It didn't do well. People hated it. Like the critics hated it. The fans hated it. It basically nuked the franchise. So nothing was gained by going to screen with it. And tonally, it, it well, I, I know what Whedon was trying to. Well, I don't know what Whedon was trying to do. I assume that Whedon was trying to bring levity to such a dark universe to try and salvage it, but the problem is that universe is not salvageable. You cannot bring levity to it. That's what it, There it is. That's why the Flash doesn't fit. That's why the Flash arc doesn't ring true to me, not because the work isn't there, but because humor in that universe has no place. It doesn't fit. And we're going to talk about that, actually, after we're done talking yeah. about Snyder Cut at the tail end of this uh, episode, when we get into the problem that the existence of Legends of Tomorrow creates for Superman and Lois, because now you've watched a recommended episode by me of Legends of Tomorrow, and you understand my deep consternation over <laughs> what Superman and Lois's tone means for the rest of the Arrowverse. Yes, or at least that there is a... There has to be a clear dividing line between the two. Yeah. Um. I mean, it, it's it's um, it's to the point. Uh, I the metaphor I was using. Well, you know, dive. We'll dive into it a little bit. Like we were talking about the episode where it's Bebo, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, you get you get the Legends of Tomorrow. All characters that I had no idea what any of them were doing or why. I was just thrown in like the old band. Like, hey, check it. Okay. Out. So it's, so let's 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 take a step back for a second and let sure. people know what okay. happened. So. I suggested to Neil that for his introduction to the wackier side, the Deadpoolish side of the Arrowverse, of which Superman and Lois is unequivocally a part, he watched the season three ender of uh, Legends of Tomorrow. 
And the season three ender follows a season in which John Constantine joined the team to help them track down magical creatures that had escaped from hell and send them back to hell. The season opener starts with a supporting character having one of his nipples cut off by an evil unicorn before it's sent to hell. And this one ends with an epic battle between Malice, who is basically a Satan stand-in, and the Legends, who combine their powers like Voltron or the Wonder Twins and become Bebo, who is a weird mascot that got introduced early on in like season one or two of the show. Um, looks kind of like uh, Care Bear and sounds like Tickle Me Elmo. And they turn into a giant version of that thing and have an epic showdown slash wrestling match with Malice slash Satan uh, in the Wild West while Julius Caesar watches on from the side. <laughs> that yes, that and, was my and, and jumping was on... Blackbeard? Yeah, it was Blackbeard. That's my jumping on point that I gave Neil to expose him to some other Arrowverse stuff. If, if you think about that episode in any way, like, if you think at all, like, about anything in that episode, like, anything, like, if you start to think, if, you, you, if like, your neurons look at each other, they don't even have to fire, um, it all collapses like a house of cards. Um, but if you don't think... It's fun and 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 crazy and nuts. Were you not were <laughs> you not entertained? <laughs> that's the thing. Like <laughs> one part of me, like like it, it was like I had had a hemispherectomy, is that the correct term? Like where they <laughs> cut your brain in half? Like like it, like half of me was going, "What? What? What?" And the other half of me was like, "Oh yeah, that's kind of cool. That's interesting. What? That's weird." Um I think that uh it is strange to see such rampant creativity married to such uh unhinged bonkers plot work and it is very comic book it is like a and not just normal comic book it's like silver age comic book is what it is it's like yeah. the height of the silver age we're going to turn these people into trees and now they have to figure out how to walk across an island um <laughs> Like why? Who cares? It's a comic and, book, and we're um, going to talk. We're going to talk about this more at the end. But the reason I brought this that up is the version of Flash from the Snyderverse could, with a little bit of wiggling, fit into Legends of Tomorrow. The version well, of Flash is just fine. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But but like he could fit in as a regular part of the cast with not too much effort to to lighten him up and tone him down a bit, right? Yeah. Absolutely. He could also he could also fit in as he is into Lois and Clark or Clark uh Superman and Lois. Probably. But he but he doesn't fit the Snyderverse because he's too much fun. Yeah, he laughs. He has joy. There's he, and and you know people will probably reply. Well, it doesn't I thought you were arguing that these movies need joy? Yes, of course the movies need joy, but they but don't earn it. They don't earn it, and also it's not validated really in in the sense that it's such a small part of a larger thing, and you're supposed to accept that it it then justifies all of the all of the grim dark, and it doesn't. 
Um, if anything, it makes the grim dark that much more emphasized, I suppose. Um, I yeah, there's they, a, there's this contrast that is <coughs> that doesn't serve the other characters well. Like you can have a more grown up Superman. Like I'm in the minority of people who really dug Superman Earth One. Right. Um, I actually don't hate me forever like Superman Earth One more than I like Birthright. I got no problem with that. Okay. I mean, I I am of the opposite of opinion, but I mean, like, like there's, it's they're both good. My my only criticism of Superman Earth One is that it does with Superman what Man of Steel and Batman v Superman and this movie do with Superman is that it makes Superman a reluctant hero. And that's not DC. That's Marvel. That's Spider-Man's shtick. Or, or it's an alternate, <clears throat> an alternate history story, story like Earth One. You know, like that's that is never meant to be the primary Superman. That is a, a a alternate story in the same way that Batman Earth One is an alternate Batman. That's the place. Like Elseworlds used to be the place where you tell that story if you want to tell that story. And that's sure. the new Elseworlds. But Batman Earth One feels like Batman. And I mean, quintessentially, yeah. Batman New 52 feels like Batman. Batman pre-New 52 feels like Batman. Like, Batman doesn't yes. change fundamentally unless Frank Miller's writing him. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. They were trying to do this thing that they do all the time, which are like, we're embarrassed of Superman. How can we make him hip and new again? Yeah. And so they throw a t-shirt on him and make him a champion of the working man, and, except for that is never paid out. And, and yeah. he just looks goofy, and it's disappointing and sad. And, um, yeah, but my, my point is, is that you can do the more adult, more grim weight of the world on him, Superman, and it works. And the reason it doesn't work here is because that's the only character that he's really doing anything different with. Right? So when you see all of these characters, and, and I, I'm going to explain what I mean in a second, because Aquaman is obviously different than his comic book counterparts. Right. <laughs> but Aquaman's not grimdark. Wonder Woman's not grimdark. Batman is quintessential Batman minus the detective stuff. In tone, I'm, ta talking I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about tone and like Ben Affleck's Batman looks like a bad writer's iteration of what Batman has always looked like in the comic books. And I'm not just talking yes. about the costume. I'm talking about the characterization. Like, it's somebody who doesn't yes. really get the character, but can color between the lines. That's what yes. this... Give him some right? guns and make him cool. Yeah. Right? Aquaman is a wild departure. And if that was Snyder's idea to make Aquaman cool in that vehicle... When you bring in the Aquaman movie and make that part of the text, like you 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 have continuity between Justice League and that, so you've got that earned character growth. This version of Aquaman works for me, but he has levity. I could see this version of Aquaman in the comic books very easily being a good way of doing something with Aquaman that's cool. Right. Right? Yeah. And with this, Superman, there's that. But well, Superman, it, it, 
Yeah, Wonder Wonder Woman is just Wonder Woman, right? Like aside from yes. some bad character choices, like having her hand slap, head explode, some bank robbers <laughs> uh, or some terrorists. Um, she's like step off the comic book page, Wonder Woman. Like that's Wonder Woman. Flash is an interesting iteration of a character who's had dozens of interesting iterations, and he would fit in just about any era or or computation of what a Flash comic book looks like and work. The only character he does anything to that feels like a personal commentary on that character is Superman. And what even this version of the movie shows me is that Zack Snyder does not like Superman. There is, you know, it might not be dislike, but there is this weird fetish that people have, particular people, particularly people who have not traditionally liked Superman. Like, they want to fix him. And they think that the solution to that is to make him like they are and go, here is this awful darkness in the world. You experience it like I have now, Superman. You don't stay optimistic. You come down to our level and you realize while you're flying off into the sky depressed... Well, I guess people are just awful after all. And they, they, you know, you can put those words in Superman's mouth if he comes back and is an optimist in the end, I suppose. It's a very poor choice with Superman. It's a better choice for Spider-Man or even Captain America getting disillusioned with America makes more sense because America has that complexity. But Superman's optimism is meant to be eternal and universal. And that's the thing. Uh, that's the critical misunderstanding of the way that grim and dark and evil can be used to contrast Superman's character. Right. In Superman and Lois, there is no shortage of disappointing or awful things that happen to Superman that make him look with disappointment on other people up to it, including his own sons. But he looks at it and he goes, I can fix this. I can make this better. This will end well because I believe it will. And it doesn't take my powers. It takes my belief and faith to make this a thing. And in all three movies with Superman in them, not counting Shazam, obviously, that Zack Snyder was behind... There is not a moment where you don't see or where you see a Superman on screen that is in any way that convinced that humans are good things. Yeah, that so people are to be believed in that they are the people he should fight for. It's always like you don't have to do this if you don't want to, and I'm only doing it because in the Galt way, I am the most noble and powerful yeah. being there is. There's there's a line in um, one of the... I don't know if you ever watched Buffy and Angel, or Angel in particular. Lots of people watch Buffy and never watched Angel, and it's a shame because Angel got really good over its five-season run. Um, right. But there's a line in, in the fifth season of Angel. I don't know if Whedon co-opted this or he came up with it himself, and if he did, it's a fantastic line. Um, that makes me wish that he hadn't turned out to be such a world-class schmuck and we could see what a Superman movie written and directed by him would look like. And the line is, we live as though the world is as it ought to be to show it what it can be. Right. 
And that's what Superman is supposed to be. Yeah, that is a right? very good encapsulation of it. You can fiddle with the character as much as you want, as long as you get that piece right. If you get that piece wrong, it doesn't matter how cool you make the costume. It doesn't matter if you throw giant polar bears at him in the Arctic. It doesn't matter if you apply, you know, no flights, no tights as a rule. Like, Smallville gets Superman more right than Snyder does. And there's plenty that Smallville did wrong. But with very few exceptions, including the one that caused you to stop writing reviews of it, they don't really <laughs> deviate from Clark being that to humanity. Superman's greatest power isn't any of the powers that he displays outwardly. It's the power he displays inwardly. Superman's greatest power is his ability to provide a positive example to other people that they believe in without question, no matter who they are. Even Lex Luthor, as cynical and awful as he is, you can tell when he looks at Superman that his hate for him is because he sees that he is the man that Luthor can never be and that Luthor wants to be. Yeah. Luthor's hate is actually envy. And there are lots of ways that people miss this. And it's understandable that people miss this because people are dark and cynical and broken on the wheel. And I have sympathy for that. I am a person that is by and large, broken on the wheel. But the thing is, my sense of character is independent of that. I don't think I'll ever trust people again in the way I did when I was a young man. But if I were to write Superman, there is no way that I could sleep at night if I were to impose that upon him and his nobility. There is something incredibly almost sadistic about a person that would do that to a character. And that is where a lot of the anger at the Snyder Cut comes from, I think, on an instinctive level. I think that we justify it and truss, and truss it up in things like arguments over whether or not he should snap somebody's neck. But I think on a fundamental gut level, it's that we know that this Superman is wrong. And that's why. Now, what I'm curious about, because it bears... So we watched this movie, and, and again... I, I think it's safe to say, and I know that you disagree with me on points, but I think it's safe to say that whether you think this is the right story to tell or not, whether the, it's too long or not, this version of this movie gives us a more cohesive, better story, more fleshed out character character more 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 fleshed out characterized version of what we got in the theaters it is not a highly competent movie it is not a fantastic justice league story it's not something that i'm inclined to revisit in the same way that i am say black panther or captain america winter soldier or even Infinity War and Endgame, which I've probably watched four times since they came out, um, 
or going to the DC well, I've watched Superman the movie every year on my birthday since I was four years old. Um, <laughs> right? Like, and it doesn't hold up. Like, people will accuse me of being a a worshiper at the altar of um, of Christopher Reeves and of those original 70s, 80s era Superman flicks. And I like them, but I can acknowledge that they don't hold up. But they get the character right. And, and I'm not talking about the design of the suit or the choices, like the the sort of the hokey pre-John Byrne, mid-John Byrne version of it that they do. But they get fundamentally, and so does Smallville, and so does even Lois and Clark, for that matter. They get the point of who Superman is supposed to be relative to us. Right. Even if they make other terrible decisions that I disagree with creatively, right? Yes. This movie, as it exists now, in this weird format that we got, just doesn't. It gets a whole lot right that the theatrical version didn't. Wonder Woman is great. Batman is... Okay, so you hate this version of Batman because he's dumb. Um, and, and, and I can stipulate... <laughs> oh, there are to, more reasons than that. Sure, So many sure. reasons I hate this version I, of Batman. I, I can stipulate to that as well, but I would have preferred to see this version of Batman in the Nolan Batman movies than the version of Batman that we got in the Nolan Batman movies. I think that... Well, let's see. In terms of the suit... Uh, I'm not even talking design. You know, I'm just talking about the enjoyable aspects of the performance and the combat and the thought that went into the way he moves and like it felt more comic book batman but not so much that he wouldn't have fit into those flicks it you know it didn't for me because even though nolan's batman is clunkier in his execution and the suit you know at least something wanting I just get the feeling that this Batman in the in the uh, in the Snyder universe wants to kill everyone he sees, and that his goal is to kill them as quickly as he can so he can get them out of their way. It, it, it we go back to that thing like Superman and Zod. I get the impression that like when so there's there's Batman Returns right the Michael Keaton Batman. There's a point where Batman straight up pops a clown in the face throws him into a place with a grenade, and the grenade explodes, and that's Batman straight up murdering a guy, right? Yeah. My gut response to that scene is, that dude ain't dead, you know? And I know that that doesn't follow. Like, in the same way that I know that I when I say Zod ain't dead, Zod ain't dead. But Zod it's, because, dead, it's, you know? it's because Keaton's Batman doesn't kill. Well, it's because you get the way it's Like, he doesn't want the way to it's kill. You don't, you don't buy that he's right to kill. It, it would it's it's a happy accident you know he sets that clown on fire as in a way that would kill anybody as he's taking the batmobile off and it's a comedic moment not because you're thinking oh he just killed a guy but he's because oh yeah that's a justifiable punishment because they were trying to burn him right yeah um but this batman straight up like shoots people he fires missiles into things and then they explode and you get the feeling that he is really out to kill these MFs. He, like he's he's not he's not being cautious. He's taking joy in inflicting pain. Right. So you know, and and that is depicted well. Like this is the efficient movement of a murderous Batman. I can see that. 
But I don't want to put that in the universe where you have a Batman that's trying to save the soul of Harvey Dent because the Dark Knight ends with both Joker and and Two Face dead. Right, and but my probably argu- Commissioner Commissioner Gordon with a beat. No, down no, it doesn't. <laughs> because my argument is is this version of Batman is at the end of his career. This is an aged salt and pepper um, post Jason Todd's death. Uh, yeah. jaded, bitter Batman, which doesn't make any sense in the time frame that Man of Steel and Batman v Superman occurs in, where Superman right. is technically supposed to be first, but whatever. Um, I think you pluck this version of Batman specifically out of Justice League, right? You take this version of Batman out of Justice League, and he never existed in the Snyderverse, and you stick him in the Nolanverse, and he's a better Batman than Christian Bale in those movies. Well, if you take the murderous aspect out, yeah, just visually, see, Affleck is always... See, it's tough, because Affleck goes both ways with me. Like, sometimes, like, I can absolutely see him in real life as the dude he played in Mallrats. You know, like, that just to me smacks of who Ben Affleck seems to be. Um, so that that jades any any performance. Right, that but, that he's also, yet, but that he's also the dude who obviously did the heavy lifting on the writing of Goodwill Hunting. That's exactly where I was going next. <laughs> like, there, it's clearly, I think... I think he he wants to make movies like The Town and and he's stuck with, you know, being being JLo's hubby and you know having to be the Batman. Um Yeah, it's so it's I, mis, I, I, it's misuse of a character. That here, this this is the perfect analogy. It's misuse of an actor in a character role. And Cavill is a perfect example of this too, but I'm going to go a different direction because we've already talked about that. Cavill would have been like if if Cavill had been in, say, a redo of Superman done by Taika Waititi, he'd have yeah. been a perfect Superman, okay? And I'm using Taika Waititi because the first two Thor movies and the first Avengers movie, Chris Hemsworth is painfully boring. Boring. <laughs> pa- like, awful. He's the worst part of those flicks. With the exception of a couple of bright, shiny moments in the original Avengers movie. And then somebody discovers, maybe by talking to the guy, that he's actually really funny. And we get Thor Ragnarok, where he's absolutely glorious. And then that feeds into uh, Endgame. And we get this completely (laughs) different version of the same character played by the same guy because someone figured out how to use that actor in that role properly. See, I'm very much strike that reverse it. I'm the opposite on on my take on Thor. I think that, like, for me, the high watermark of the Marvel movies is the first Thor and the first Captain America. And I buy his smiling god wholesale in, in, in that movie. And I think that the Thor movies have been diminishing returns for me. Oh. I think that Thor I think that Thor Ragnarok is the most enter one of the most entertaining Marvel movies in terms of like fun to watch. But I think that I uh, in terms of like a thing I keep going back to, it's that first Thor movie and that first Captain America movie. I watch those endlessly. I I suppose I just like in the same way that Chris Evans is better used by 
Um, who directed uh, Winter Soldier? It was the same guys that then did... Um, the Russo Brothers. The Russo Brothers. They use Evans as Captain America so much more effectively, from my perspective, than he was used in the first Captain America flick. Oh, my heart. My heart. No, Julian. I was having this conversation with Ellie the other day. I made her watch it because she's never seen it because she's basically a hippie that doesn't watch TV unless I make her. Um, And she was she was trying to understand because we'd watched uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and she had no idea what was going on. And she didn't understand. There's this scene. And I apologize if you haven't watched it, guys. Spoilers where John Walker kills somebody using Cap's shield and there's this scene that they show where he walks away from that and there's blood on the shield and I like drew this sharp intake of breath and she asked me why and so I had to explain why Captain America isn't the jingoistic person the people who don't know the comics think he is yeah and who don't know this material and to me yeah the first Captain America movie is good the Red Skull is great. Evans is good in the role. It's earnest. It's wonderful. I love the fact that he has absolutely zero arc because that's who he should be. He shouldn't Evans? be a person. No, yeah, like the character, Steve Rogers, does not have an arc in that first movie at all. His character is fundamentally unchanged at the end of the movie from where he starts the movie, which is what it should be. Right. Right? Like, I love that. But, but he, he also learns, so so he thinks, there is an arc for, for Evans, I will argue. The arc is that he thinks that it's enough to show up. And he learns from Erskine that it's not just about showing up and being good, it's also about the heart you bring to it. And he learns that leadership is not about having a giant body. Because that's what he, that's his, so he, he goes through this period where he's like, I'm going to sell war bonds and then I can be part of this. Nobody he, hates like, that. This clearly Nobody, doesn't work. But he right, hates, of course. Yeah, yeah, but he hates that. But he does it. He, he, he agrees to it because he thinks that his duty to his country is more important than his duty to his heart. And that's his arc. So he so he's willing to falsify and lie to become a U.S. soldier, and then he becomes the soldier he always wants to be, and then he 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 learns that the apparatus of war is not as important as the intent you bring to it. I know, but, but he you know, knew, but he knew that beforehand. My no, I I completely fundamentally disagree with you. He everything that he is when he's given the chance to actually be what he wants to be is not a result of him learning anything. It's about him being given the chance to be who he was when he kept on trying to volunteer for war, even though he didn't have the big body. Yeah, I think you're probably right the more I think about it. He throws himself on that grenade. He throws himself on that grenade knowing it will kill him because fundamentally, at core, he is the guy who throws himself on the grenade to do the right thing. And that doesn't change ever in that movie. So maybe, so that's, to me, the Captain America movies, although I love them all, to be very clear, I, I, I have the same diminishing returns thing because the story that is important about, uh, the important part of Captain America in that 
in the same way that the important part of Thor is that he is learning how to use power responsibly and and rising to the occasion. Yeah. Although with Cap, it's always there. There's that bit, like the Erskine thing, where he points to his heart and he's like, this is what makes power have a home. You know, that's, right? But he's that's not, not teaching. Line. But that, but that moment isn't about Erskine teaching him that. That sure. moment is about yeah, no, Erskine I agree encouraging with him to tap into what they both know What's, is already there. Yes, and yeah. the, and, and the, I agree. The point of that movie, to me, is that he is the lone human exception to the idea that power corrupts. Yes, and that's it. And I agree with your take. Now that I've thought about it a little bit. But I think that that's why those movies remain the high watermarks, and the other ones, he they they don't do what what Snyder did. They don't go like, yeah, we've got to tear him down and show him that you know, like John Walker is the way. Um, they keep his their faith for all of these movies, even when Thor is down in it at his worst in in Endgame, he still gets back up and fights. You know, yeah. Uh, he still does the right thing, and he does it because it's the right thing, even though he's like, oh, I don't want to do this because I'm, you know, I'm mourning. Um, but it's at its most pure in those first movies, and that's just the nature of story, though. The more you drift away from the beginning sure. arc of a character, the more it's gonna, the more it's gonna be diminishing returns. But just my point, my point behind all this, the reason I went, took us down this path, is, yes. is you can utilize an actor in a role. And the right. representation of a character really well and take the same character and the same actor and utilize them poorly. And yes. Affleck and Affleck's Batman are used well in Zack Snyder's Justice League. The Flash is used and depicted well in Zack Snyder's Justice League. Ditto for Wonder Woman, with the exception of a couple scenes that we've talked about. Ditto for Aquaman, with the exception of a couple of weird quirks that we've talked about. But Superman and Cavill as Superman is so wildly misused, even in this original vision, quote unquote, original vision for this movie, that I don't get what Snyder is trying to do with this character. Like he well, makes they, the they argument all fit that with Snyder's vision, I think they all fit with Snyder's vision, but they are all also I quintessentially iconically, even if badly rendered in some ways, themselves. And Superman's not. I don't know. And, I see and, them all as just like darkly corrupted versions of like pure characters. I've, I nah, I don't. No, Godot is great as Wonder Woman, and she, except for the terrorist scene, and I'd be interested to know if that was redone as a response to what Whedon did with that to make it more visceral, or whether it was in the original vision. Like, we'll never be able to know that stuff. But with the exception well, what other of chunky the- stuff does she have there? Like, like, she's got the scene where she catches the arrow, I suppose, or, or finds the arrow. <laughs> No, but um, she's got all she, the nice. She's got all the nice, quiet little moments with uh, Batman, and she's got the nice, quiet <laughs> moments with. No, no, and she's got the nice moments with Victor, and like she's there's a there's a consistency of who she is as a person that is not just internally consistent with the other two Wonder Woman movies, weirdly, but is also consistent with various ways in which this character has been depicted in the comics over the years. She's not alien, is my point. Right. Flash isn't alien. Aquaman is alien, but great. 
right? Like that that's a change that I'll take rather than him being played as a punching bag for the jokes of the Justice League. Um, right. Batman isn't alien. These characters are quintessentially them. Henry Cavill Superman and I'm and I'm zoning in on this guys because this is a podcast we're doing for the Superman homepage. I am here first and foremost, my first love the reason I'm into comics, the reason I'm into these characters, the reason my kids are, is because I fell in love with the idea of Superman when I was a little kid, right? So I'm harping on this point more than any, because in the comics, the heart and soul of what the Justice League is, is this balancing act between the warrior that Wonder Woman is and the cynic that Batman is with the absolute power, but absolute restraint that Superman represents. That's the heart and soul of what the justice league is and why it works, no matter what the roster happens to be around them. And this vision of who Superman is gets the character so catastrophically wrong that the heart falls apart. Yeah, you know, I agree. Uh, we we totally agree on on the take on Superman. I just I think that there's a very strong argument that other than the Flash, all of the other characters are you know deeply flawed and corrupted too. Uh, cyborg I, is know, as and, good as I could expect the live action Cyborg to get. Oh like, yeah, I've watched... yeah. I didn't I didn't think about Cyborg. You're correct on Cyborg. Yeah, I, I, like, I put I... Cyborg out of my brain because I was thinking about the most iconic, most known characters, like you know the ones that are typically associated with the with the Justice League. So. Yeah, so like and I watched Cyborg is, um, but more recently. Yes, I watched. Um, oh, what the heck is it called? Doom Patrol. Yeah, um, which is brilliant, and the version of Cyborg in Doom Patrol is a more happy-go-lucky, maybe more comics accurate, definitely more Teen Titans accurate version of who Cyborg is as a character. And the whole time I was watching him, I was missing. Even the Whedon, because by that point, that's all we had, was the Whedon version of that character. Because it's he's just better. Like, he's great. Like, the, uh, if the you Ray were going to do one? a live... Yeah, the Ray Fisher one. If you were going to do a live-action cyborg, the Ray Fisher cyborg is how you do that. So so I look at this thing, and I'm happy, I'm, I'm happy that it's out. It's not a good movie, but it's a better movie, and I'm happy that it exists. And I'm happy that we got to see a Justice League story on the big screen that doesn't give all of these interesting characters with their own decades-long pedigrees short shrift in the way that they got in the theatrical release. Um... But Superman bugs me, and I don't get what Snyder... I, I don't get two things, and and... The first thing I don't get is is what Snyder is trying to accomplish with it. Like he said to criticisms of the way that he's rendered Superman in interviews that like he's trying to do a more adult Superman. This is not the Superman he grew up with as a kid. This is Superman the real. I, I just I don't buy it. I don't think he understands the character. But the other thing I don't get, and I think this is worth talking about before we dig into setting up for Superman and Lois next week and our discussion quickly of uh, Legends of Tomorrow, I don't get 
why people responded so positively to this. And I'm not just talking about the people who wanted it to be a thing that happened and like went on uh, the Facebook group the day after and said that they'd already watched it four times somehow, even though the math and chronology and time and the laws of the universe didn't support that. Um, I'm talking about the critics. I'm talking about... The, like, rank-and-file average Superman fans that I've interacted with for years on both the site and on Facebook help me to understand why people's response to this was so positive when, like, I'm the super enthusiast, will forgive a lot member of our team, and my response to it was, eh, it was okay. I'll tell you why. Okay. I know why. For the same reason that people liked Watchmen and thought Rorschach was cool. Because they don't think about it that much. They don't think about it at the level that we do. And that is not to say that we are better for doing so. And that they, that is that is not to say that they are... Like the person who watches that episode of Legends of Tomorrow and doesn't turn their brain on, I have no problem with. This is why, you know, I don't understand the people who think that we're making a moral judgment on them when we don't like it. Uh, in because we say actively, I'm glad that you like it, right? And we make a point to do that for a reason because we understand this is simply analysis. But I think that the person who looks at this Superman and goes, cool, is 14-year-old me reading Watchmen and going, wow, cool, Rorschach is pretty boss, man. Look at those gadgets. Look at that wild stuff he does. Oh, wow, man, he sees a dog, you know? Like, like, um, oh, he eats beans and goes, hmm. You know, those <laughs> are all entertaining things, right? Yes. And if you don't think about what Superman is and what Superman should mean and what's cool and neat about Superman, and someone says, hey, you know, I like Man of Steel because it's what it would be like in the real life if Superman were out there, you know, like, the, the town would blow up and then he'd have to snap that dude's neck to stop him. If you don't think about that for more than five seconds, that sounds really compelling and really cool. And if you're an executive and you're hearing that, you're probably like, green light, that, that's easily four or five hundred million dollars, right? And it was. Um, and it's there's this thing about geek culture where we rally around the flag, where we go like, I'm going to like this no matter what happens. And it's the reason why I got such vitriolic hate mail when I did step away from Smallville when I was like, this is not for me anymore. Because there are people who, and I'm not going to say this translates to politics, but it translates to politics. Like, no matter what a person does, like say if someone were to hypothetically shoot someone on Fifth Avenue as an example, there are people who would just stick with that person because they were with that person when they were 14, mentally, right? Yeah. Um, and that is that is not to say that there aren't people who earnestly like this Superman and have that arrived at that because this is just their solid take on the character. Because there are many, many hundreds of thousands of people that fit that description. To be clear, to be abundantly clear, I am not stating that if you like this version of Superman, you are emotionally immature. I'm saying that no matter what version of a media com medium comes out for a character, there is going to be a large group of people, if it's something that a large group of people know, who latch onto it and go, I'm with this because it's something that I know and not think too much about it and just be cool with it and very easily get vitriolic and angry when someone's like, well, actually, I didn't like that. You know, and you see it with all kinds of media. Like Rise of Skywalker is a good example. Uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't 
hold up to strict analysis and critical scrutiny, but people are like, oh, look, it's Emperor Palpatine again. Woo, cool, you know? I'm like, oh, her name's Skywalker now. You know, if you don't think about it too much, it's a lot of fun. And there are people who can legitimately like it and think, oh, that's deep text, you know? But for the most part, it's rally around the flag kind of stuff. And I think that that's why this Superman has been allowed to go as far as it can because it it was a consistent moneymaker, not don't, a blowout. But I don't know that that's true, man. Like, I get what you're saying. I get I get that's that's an easy analysis for it, and it makes a lot of sense. But nerd culture has evolved, and if that were the case, we'd all be rallying around the flag around Jupiter's legacy. I wanted to rally around the flag for Jupiter's legacy. I have a personal connection to someone involved in the writing of that show and I desperately wanted to like it, and I couldn't be, I couldn't, it wasn't that I hated it, I just nothing did. Like, I got an episode in, and well, I was like, you know, like, and, and we, and, and, but it's not just me, it's the nerd community in general. Like, they watched it and went, eh. Superman gets a, a hard pass in the same way that Star Wars gets a hard pass because Superman and Star Wars have never not been for people. Like, they're so ubiquitous that, you know, Star Wars has been around for the entirety of almost everybody's lives at this point if you're not 50 or older. Um, Superman has been around if you're 100 years old, you know, since right. you were a kid. And, and, um, and the thing is, that creates such a deep forgiveness for things i mean so there's two alternatives you know like it's it's the it's it's either that that people are looking at it on a surface level or as a society we have shifted to the point of where people embrace a more fascist example of our most normal hero and i don't want to believe that and that could just be me being naive but i mean i don't want to believe that people go oh yeah this is what superman should be i don't believe we've fallen that far as a society i could I'm, be wrong i'm going to i'm going to offer an alternative take and you let me know if you think i'm right or wrong all right okay so when the theatrical cut of this movie came out it was in the middle of a glut of other superhero movies and people were kind of already after batman v super over the uh, batman v superman in general, your rank-and-file comic book movie-going fan and movie critic were like, nope, the Snyderverse is a non-starter, this is all garbage, pass. Right? That was the reaction to it. The Snyder Cut comes out in the middle of a creative wasteland because productions have been delayed or stopped, etc., etc., uh, because of COVID, and because of COVID, we're all thirsty for stories in which the good guys beat the bad guys, and uh, normalcy is restored to the universe inside X period of time. And I think that we're also slobberingly hungry for stories like that, that this landed at a particular moment in the zeitgeist where people were just like, Superman picked a black costume because he did a fashion show in the Fortress of Solitude and his daddies were arguing over what color choice he should have. Cool, I don't care. They beat the bad guy. Yeah, I think that that's a little... I think it's... So... I don't think it's a lack of critical analysis. I think it's a we are as a culture right now clinically depressed 
And whatever is handed to us that gives us that feeling of good will eventually triumph over evil, everything is going to be okay, we will embrace regardless of its flaws. I don't know if it's limited to this time. I think if you look at everything, you get a situation where you got, like, all the Marvel movies, all the DC movies. The DC movies are underperforming because the Marvel movies have that entertainment factor that we're going to beat the bad guy and by the end of this it's over and everything is great. All of the movies have that on both sides. The depth of a rewatch... Except for, in, except there, for, except for Infinity War. Ex, yeah, well, you know, like, there are hits and misses in 20 movies, but almost all of them you can look... And no, no, that a, was that was the point of Infinity War. Infinity War ends with the good guys not beating the bad guys on purpose. Well... Well, yeah, but if you look at it as one big story, which I kind of do, like one big eight-hour movie, it's it's yeah. But the other, so so the Snyder movies, though, and and the DC universe in general, though you know there are notable exceptions like the Wonder Woman and and Shazam, uh, and Shazam, they're just kind of dumb popcorn. You know, it's like you go there and there's entertainment and it is what it is. And some people are perfectly fine with that and will latch onto that and more power to them. God, I'm glad you're having fun. Um, But I think that if you want something to have staying power and gravitas and weight, you have to put thought into the character instead of just thought into what is cool. And I think that the Justice League, you're right, it it came out when there was nothing coming out. Um, So there are a lot of people latching onto it because it's, it's what they have right now and there's nothing else. But I also think that there is a huge element of it that is politicized. I don't think in the Marvel movies you can look at the majority of the fans and go that they're one political affiliation or the other. I think the Snyder universe, you can fairly say that, and I don't even have to say what it is, and it's pretty obvious to anyone with eyes. Um, And I think that 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 tribal affiliation stuff makes it more vitriolic in the same way that Star Wars is. Star Wars doesn't have that polemic political angle to it, but... It's that same thing. It's like your camp JJ or your camp Ryan, and the people. Well, no, that political aspect isn't there. Um, like the people were were complaining about the Last Jedi being woke and the Last Jedi being being um, you know tokenism and things like that, and like just really weird, really uh, really deep cut awful stuff. To try and make it about you're in my tribe or you're not in my tribe to the point of, you know, doxing and attacking. So I take that back. You know, Rise of Skywalker versus Last Jedi and the Snyderverse versus others uh, versus people who don't like the Snyderverse because it's not comparable because there are a lot of people that like the Marvel Universe and either like or don't like the Snyder Universe and they intermix. But um, it seems like like. Snyder benefits in the same way that the Atlas Shrug movie benefited from this large, passionate, vocal group of toxic troll people. No, <laughs> like, this no, is my new man. religion because this it, is my new religion. I, I'm going to push back and I'm not doing this to pander to that side of the audience because I agree with you that they're out <laughs> there. The tomato meter, the Rotten Tomatoes review score for Zack Snyder's Justice League is 71%. That's a solid movie reception from the critics. The critics don't yes. skew right. That's true. These are but... the same. These are the same critics that gave the Mitchells versus the Machines ninety-seven percent, which does not skew right. But also, 
71 percent is uh, 71 71 percent is certified fresh 71 percent tells me (laughs) no but but it's it's a tomato it's not a squished tomato 71 percent tells me that the critical response to this film was that it was good and I am going to Google something right now. And you can't... Like, the audience score, 95, 94% positive review for it, that's that's just astroturfing, as far as I'm concerned. But I look at the, <laughs> but I look at the critical review for that, and I call BS on your take as to why this landed the way that it landed, because the cr- film critics don't skew right. Film critics were looking- arrested... <laughs> I'm looking at Superman Returns. Yeah. <laughs> on the tomato meter, and it has a 75%. Yeah, and you know what? <laughs> Superman Returns is not an offensively bad movie. It's a boring movie. It's an art house Superman movie. It right. it it but, but but this is my point. Look by comparison, go and look at the tomato meter for the original theatrical release of Justice League. Mhm. Right? I don't even know what the score is. Let's take a look. Let's take a look. Da, 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 da. Justice League. Probably going to be, if I had to guess, 55%. Let's see. 40%. 40%. Wow. Okay, that is, so that, uh, that is baffling so that, to me. So that says that your analysis of what people are responding to is wrong. That says that my analysis of what critics are responding to is wrong. <laughs> sure, like sure. 90- like we, can, we can disagree with also, the critics. It's an aggregator, well, so it's not that 71% of reviewers loved it. It's that 71% of reviewers gave it a better than 5 out of 10 score. Here's another thing. To get to be an accredited critic on Rotten Tomatoes uh, and skew the story in that way, there would have to be a vested right-wing media presence with reviewers that were avidly submitting those reviews to kind of support the thing that they're behind. Yeah, Which, but if I but if I know, look but at, that never no, happens. No, no, no but if <laughs> I look and and I know what you're talking about, I called out uh the negative reviews for um Amazing Spider-Man for what I thought they were, which was a artistic response Response, knee-jerk reaction to Sam Raimi being ousted and then doing a reboot at all rather than dealing with the movie in yes. its own right. Um, like, I know that that stuff happens, but we're not, like, we're not talking about sudden pop-up, like, Movie Hole gave it fresh. What I Watched Tonight gave it fresh. Combustible Celluloid didn't like it. Two and a half out of four. Um, where are we? Well, let's like, keep it, let's because it's all speculation because we can't know what people's motivation are. So we got to get to right. the meat on the bone. And the meat on the my, bone is... Oh, go ahead. My, my point is there is something else that is culturally occurring at this moment in time that made people... Comic Book Resources gave it a positive review. Right? Like, they don't <laughs> skew right. CBR doesn't skew right. So, it could be something in the culture. It could be a vast right-wing conspiracy. It could be that people are getting more cynical. It could be that uh, it's a great movie and we're just ridiculously stupid. 
I, um, I, I genuinely think if this movie had come out in 2019, or if this movie came out in 2023 after, God willing, we're all vaccinated and life has resumed some sort of sense of normalcy again, that it would have landed with a thud. Well, it could just very much be that Grimdark resonates when you've been locked in a house for a year. I could see that. I think epic um, heroism. Re- I think epic heroism in the face of ultimate evil. Re- like I, I think if if I'm if I'm making a parallel, them killing the crap out of or out of uh, not decide um, uh, Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. And punching Darkseid in the face was us conquering COVID. I think it's just, no, I think it's, I think it's just that simple. It's big and Baroque and grandiose and feels over long, just like the last year and a bit have. And it ends with the bad guys getting absolutely annihilated by the heroes. And I think that was enough. You know, there's another factor too. Like, um, I think that, there is the impression that the longer a thing is, the better a thing is, particularly with movies, when there are a lot of things that are really, really long that could just absolutely be trimmed, but they're like, oh, obviously more went into this. And I see a lot of bias in that with movies. I tried to watch, like, as an example, and this, you know, this is so obscure, but I tried to watch Barry Lydon um, because it's like a <laughs> historical epic. And it, I just fell asleep in the first half an hour, and I was like, no, and I turned it off. Um, and I know that people regard it as a masterpiece, and critics call it a darling, but I think that, you know, a lot of that was just like, look at this level of technical proficiency that was maintained. And I see that there's a lot of technical proficiency in this Justice League movie. Um, but it's it, it also baffles me because, well, you know what it is. If you don't know, here here you go. If you're a critic and you don't know much about the comic book history of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and this is your first exposure to the Justice League, because how many critics out there have watched the Justice League cartoon and read a bunch of comic books? Probably not that many professional critics, because they're too busy watching Barry Lydon. Um, And that is the name of the movie, right? The Stanley Kubrick one? Am I butchering it? Uh, Anyway... But, you know, like, they're they're in a different world. So their exposure to Superman or Batman or Captain America is what they've seen on that movie screen. And if you compare the Joss Whedon version to the Snyder version, the Snyder version probably seems a little bit fleshed out if you don't, you know, like, have any vested interest in the past of these characters or any vested interest in, you know, like, there's there's nothing... Like, Superman is not the main part of that movie if you're the reviewer coming in blind. The movie is the ensemble piece, you know? Like, in the same way that that if you look at Avengers, you're not thinking about, well, how does this speak to Captain America so much? Right. Um, you're thinking, how does this team work? Um, I, I'm gonna, and... I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt you with the most on-the-nose possible refutation of your original theory. Salon.com. Okay. Salon.com. Like, as mm-hmm. as pedigree in Ivy League as you can get for a movie review. Snyder's Justice League show... Or, sorry, Zack Snyder's Justice League shows Snyder's evolution from a director known for emphasizing style over substance to a man who understands why we love Superman, superhero myths, whether they live in the DC Universe <laughs> or Marvels. Yeah, that's weird. I don't okay, get it. Okay, so, so something is happening with this... 
that goes beyond political affiliation, that goes beyond astroturfing. There is legitimate, solid critics who do what they do at the top of their game, who looked at this and went, yep, that's for me. And I that is can't very strange to me. fathom any reason for that other than the time and place in which we exist. Because, guys, this, this is my final analysis of Zack Snyder's Justice League. It's okay. I, it's it's not the it's not the Justice League movie I would have wanted. There's some stuff in it I absolutely love. There's stuff in it that is bewildering and insane and doesn't make any sense to me. I hate its interpretation of Superman, and all of that adds together to be a movie that is all right. I am not offended that it exists. I, all right, here's my final word on the Zack Snyder uh, uh, Superman movies and on uh, on Justice League. Um, I found certain parts of that series of recordings to had been ridiculous, rambunctious, uh, vulgar, and unfunny. <laughs> and I mean that's that's pretty appropriate. All right, we'll go with that. All right, so all right, we so have Bebo. We have less than a week until Superman and Lois comes back. And the reason yes. that I asked you to watch this episode of uh, Legends of Tomorrow was not just to expose you to some of the weirder and wackier elements of the Arrowverse. Um, although I do think dollar for dollar, minute for minute, what Legends of Tomorrow does post season one, which was garbage because they didn't know what they were yet. Um, is the most entertaining superhero TV that has ever existed in the medium, full stop, nothing even comes close. Um, the reason I wanted you to watch this particular episode was to highlight something that I was talking about uh, when we first started to, our very first review, our very first podcast about Superman and Lois, which was... Superman and Lois exists in the same universe as this show where a team that's comprised of B-list villains and heroes Voltrons together to become a giant blue stuffed animal and have a WD, WWE wrestling match with the devil. <laughs> well, also, you know... Uh... Doctor Strange's world exists in the same world as Thor Ragnarok, and but that's internally also, consistent. But no, no, yeah, but that's that's, in, that's internally consistent. So going back to your original comments about how if you think about anything in this episode for more than thirty seconds, the whole thing falls apart. It yes. actually doesn't if you've watched the season because everything in this episode is completely internally consistent with everything else that ha like. Everything in I this mean, episode is earned from a plot I mean more in the sense that I imagine there's no point in the preceding 18 episodes or whatever the season was where they explain how Julius Caesar speaks modern American English. Absolutely not. It's so yes. what what this what just so you understand and and again there's there's a reason that is relevant to the subject of what this podcast is supposed to be about Superman and Lois. What Legends of Tomorrow is is an American ensemble cast take on Doctor Who. 
Yes, I kind of get that impression. It started off being um, being another superhero show. They wanted to do a team superhero show. And that was bad. The first season, the plot of it is basically they're trying to uh, protect Hawkman and Hawkgirl from Vandal Savage, who is trying to murder them throughout time so that he can take over the world. <laughs> and and it's like not good. Yeah, it's not good. The Vandal Savage stuff is kind of interesting, but it wore thin really fast. The superhero stuff was not good. It wore thin really fast. And then season two, they came back and they decided that they were going to be Doctor Who. And it was astonishingly better and a completely different show and unlike anything I've ever seen on American TV. And every other Arrowverse show makes sense alongside a show where the season finale can be what I just described. Superman and Lois does not. Yes. And And so... Go ahead. I get your objection. I was, I was just, you know, it's the same problem. It's, it's the thing that kind of got me a little in a little bit of hot water um, with the Superman team when I was reviewing Birthright and when I was making commentary on Birthright when Birthright came out. Because what was happening is you had a group of people in editorial and at the top of DC who said Birthright is now Superman's new origin and it fits entirely perfectly with the Burn universe. And there were things that just absolutely did not make sense because, you know, Superman was a vegetarian and beef bourguignon and ketchup, you know, like you just couldn't reconcile that. You couldn't hand wave that away. And it wasn't that we had any problem with the fact that they were saying this is the new origin going forward and we're going to base our stories from that. It was that they were saying things that flatly didn't make sense. And you're absolutely right. In a world where they Voltron into Bebo, it doesn't fit tonally with Superman and Lois. Um, I think that um, logistically it's not going to change too much unless they try and do a crossover and it is therefore clunky. Um, but I do agree that they should say this is its own thing if they're going to make it its own thing and have it be completely separate. Um, and they can say that it derived from this universe, but it changed because of the crisis and now it's its own separate thing. But they haven't made a determination on that. But here's the thing, though. Like, the craft in the show is such that I think they will. I think that they w- they have they may not have decided yet, but I think they will decide. They'll make a statement. They'll stick with it, and it will be story consistent. Um, but your question, that's not me saying your questions are unjustified. I think that it is absolutely legit to be like, wait a minute, this doesn't follow. Um, and it's not just sense? it's yeah it's not just that it doesn't follow it's so the the one criticism that I have had for the show since the beginning of it is that it is stylistically embarrassed of its roots. I think so. Yeah, I think that it well it, I don't know if it would be stylistically embarrassed because it doesn't turn away a lot of the comic book conventions, but I do think that it is actively saying we are not like these other shows right i think that and, there's a difference between those two things because Zack snyder is saying this is my superman and it's like like that other ridiculous idealistic superman it's very clearly that's the statement he's making yeah. um in this show is not saying 
to hell with Supergirl. This is our awesome Superman. Um, it's saying, you know, we're going to have a different tone, a different approach, a different way of telling this story, this kind of story. It which doesn't is, seem which like is, it's disrespectful to the past. Which is, I guess, fair. My one concern is, is I legitimately... So, you know, with some hiccups, The Flash is amazing. Like, I love right. that show. Like, the the writing of Barry Allen makes him the dumbest superhero to ever superhero. Like, the mistakes he makes are catastrophically dumb very, very frequently. Um, Arrow was a mixed bag of awesome and not awesome all over the place. Uh, Black Lightning was pretty consistently excellent. Uh, Batwoman is the only one that's kind of landed with a thud for me. I dug Supergirl. But even just looking at the genetics of this, that this is a show that springs forth directly from Supergirl, it doesn't even fit with Supergirl. Yes. Because Supergirl, Supergirl uses characters like Brainiac in order to root itself in the silliness of the other CW shows. Yes. Right? In it also a way makes like I would have a harder I would have a harder time like a year ago I would have um I would have been more inclined to be like, ah yes, this is this is where superhero TV is right now looking at um that finale of Legends of Tomorrow and being uh, but being less critical. And now it's like I've got this filet mignon right here. Why are you trying to give me Wendy's? Um, <laughs> but and that's not to say I, that I would, Wendy's is bad. I love my good Wendy's strip or whatever. But I would argue that Legends of the of Tomorrow isn't Wendy's. Legends of Tomorrow is weird Australian and Thai fusion. Sure, yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is like um, for someone like who is who is just. Like, most of the shows I watch are deep character dives, and most of the shows that I enjoy the most are deep character dives, even when it's superhero stuff. Like, this, I, this like, I, like, I guarantee you, if you put Milo in front of Legends of Tomorrow from Season 2 on, he would have a blast. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. Like, they're both good in their own ways, and that's why, you know, that's why I don't want to talk smack about it, because it's not like Legends of Tomorrow was bad. It's just, like, it's very clearly, this is something I would have enjoyed from the age of 12 to the age of about 30, probably. And not because <laughs> it got sucky when I was 30, or it was sucky all along, but more just, like, I've gotten to the point of where I've seen so many stories in so many fo formats and written my own stories in so many formats that it really takes a lot to impress me and have me not turn that critical eye, or I have to shut my brain off entirely like I did with the episode to just enjoy it. Yeah, so, it's just it's just such a weird show, and there's so many weird behind-the-scenes elements. Like, I don't know if you picked up on this, but the actor who plays John Constantine and the version of John Constantine that he is playing is the exact same actor and version of that character that was in the one season Constantine show on NBC and the CW yeah, about that. went and like bought the rights to use him as a recurring Arrowverse character, like in continuity as that character. 
And it seems like that's what they're doing with everything now in terms of, like, what DC is trying to do. They're, like, doing a Michael Keaton in the modern DC movies. I don't know what the heck they're thinking. Well, actually, oh, no, no, but that that makes sense to me. So what they're doing is they are trying to use the multiverse as a way of correcting missteps in the recent DC movies. <laughs> yeah, to no, me, but, this is what we like, this is what we don't. Yeah, yeah that, they'll that, do the same thing in, in, in I'm sure, I am positive, like the next two movies in Marvel that are like major tentpole kind of things instead of character movies uh, are the Multiverse of Madness and Superman no, or Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah. And I guarantee you they are looking for the next Captain America and the next the next Iron Man to bring in. And they're going to try Rory, I think. But I imagine they're probably going to bring in another... They're, they're going to bring in Falcon. But they're, they're going to have multiple versions of the same characters so that they can tell wider scoped stories. I mean, well, I think, I think, I think Iron Man, they're going to use, I think this is my theory is they're going to use, is it Shuri? Is that uh black Shuri, yeah, little sister? No, yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. Shuri. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think she will wind up being the next Iron Man. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. And how do you top, how do you top what they did in Endgame? You have to up it. So what you've got is you got the first Avengers where all of the main heroes come together. And then you have Endgame, where all of the main heroes and all of the B and C characters come together. And then you have the next natural coalescing, where you have all of those characters, including a couple of resurrected ones, no doubt, because it's comics. Yeah. And then alternate versions of the same characters from different realities all converging on the same No, problem. but Marvel is doing... So, so what Marvel is doing is they're using the multiverse to introduce properties that they've just acquired. Right. So they're using the, <laughs> that no, too. no, but yes. that that's the primary reason for it. They're using the multiverse yes. to bring in the Fantastic Four yeah, and Fantastic the X-Men, Four, X-Men right. in, in a way that makes organic sense to the broader MCU. Yes. DC movies are using the multiverse to cover up and and edit out missteps they've made in building a cinematic universe and hand wave yes so so the typical low rent response to the marvel problem or the marvel solutions yeah and dc tv has been using the multiverse all along as a way of just telling big epic stories that wouldn't make sense if all these characters existed in the same universe yes and honestly too they're yeah. doing it honestly. That's the thing I admire about it. I watched Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it was clear that I wasn't the target demographic. But every inch of it, I was like, this is done with love. This is done with respect to the source material. And it may not be a thing for me, but it is absolutely not like they're trying to be like, this is how we fix the problem with how terrible our characters are. <laughs> yeah, like, even... even So they, they make liberal changes all the time. Like, I am not against massive changes to canon and characters. They turned... Spoilers again for a two-year-old show. They <laughs> turned Oliver Queen into the Spectre. That's as far out <laughs> of canon as you can possibly get, but it works within the context of what they've done with those shows. I just, as a as a person who is a fan of DC Comics before Marvel Comics, and there's tons of reasons for that that we'll probably get into in later podcast episodes, and as a person who wants these movies desperately to be as good, if not better, than the Marvel movies, 
I just don't understand what Warner Brothers is doing. They are going to come to a point of where they will have a series of two to three flops and then they'll start over again. Or maybe they're trying to do that now. Who knows? But I think they're I not think... going to just... They're chasing the dragon is what they're doing. They're like, I'm going to be Marvel come by hook or by crook and they don't realize that's not how you do it. Well, you can feel Jeff Johns kind of all over what's happening next on the DC movies in that the next big movie to come out is The Flash and you know what story they're doing. Yeah. Of course, they're doing, they have to they're be doing, doing. They're doing Flashpoint. Yeah, yeah. That's how we're to. getting. That's how we're getting the Michael Keaton, Bruce Wayne introduced, and the other sort of multiversal versions of these characters. They're going yeah, to use. It makes sense. They're going to use Flashpoint as a course corrector so that they can keep Aquaman, Shazam, Wonder Woman, and. Um, uh, Flash while jettisoning the versions of Superman and Batman that we got. Well, and you can kind of see that that is, I see the Jeff Johns hands on that. Cause I, and I say this admiring Jeff Johns, but for good or for ill, what he and both, what both he and Dan DeDio always did was like, they kind of half pulled the trigger on reboots over and over and over again with rare exception, like the Hal Jordan Green Lantern stuck, but it would be yeah. like, they would come up with this new way of doing everything, and then there'd be the event that would tear it all apart. And then they'd come up with this new way of doing everything, and the event would tear it apart. Um, and you, although, would, you know, although, like, whoa, 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 Sinestro Corps War and Blackest Night mm -hmm. originate originating out of his original Green Lantern run lead yeah. into the New Fifty Two in a very or like so you get Sinestro Corps War, Blackest Night, Brightest Day. And then New 52. That's a big, long, deliberate burn into a reboot. Yeah, that's true. But then they immediately sacrifice it after three to five years and just go back to normal. And, right. And, you know, I love the Green Lantern stuff, but also the Green Lantern stuff was kind of like, how do we deal the fa with the fact that Hal Jordan's a mass murderer? Well, let's just hand wave a little bit instead of, you know, elevating Kyle Rayner. Um no, but, hey, listen, or, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push starting back. the story gonna, from scratch. I'm gonna push back on that. Seizing upon the idea of parallax from the death and return of Superman, and using that as an impetus to create a whole new mythology for the underpinnings of what make up the different lantern cores, and using that to redeem Hal Jordan is solid writing. It's a great story. Yeah, no, I'm not complaining about the story. Um, I'm more talking about the world building. No, I love Blackest Night, and I read it regularly, you know, once every couple of years. I've enjoyed that in 52, and... Um, but when you talk about you know, redeeming... When you talk about redeeming a mass murderer instead of giving Kyle Rayner a boost, I assume you're talking about the fact that they put Hal Jordan front and center again. And to me, the way they did that breathed new life into what was a dying franchise green lantern did not have a big readership it wasn't popular anymore it was swirling the well, toilet people were begging for hal jordan too and yeah the good thing is you know like there was that nice period i don't know if you read the hal jordan specter but that was um yeah that was a nice little nice little segue that led right into it because there was an element of repentance there yeah. Um. I don't know. It, it's. It, I. I'm not. 
bagging on Jeff Johns because I love Jeff Johns's work. It's yeah. more just like um, there seems to be this thing where they're like, let's fix it by rejiggering it slightly and just carrying on instead of the the reason why the Marvel Universe has been so successful. It's like these are our new origin stories. They're faithful to the characters. Some things are changed. We keep the good. We get rid of the bad. We're sticking with it. We're not changing this. Well, the, the, to be more simplistic, the reason that Marvel has been successful and DC hasn't been is that Marvel got to make its own movie studio and utterly reject the author as director idea. Right. Right? Yeah, like, I agree so. Right? So they have a machine that pumps out plot and the directors of these movies, with very few exceptions, are selected because they will do what the script tells them to do competently. Yes. And even if they are like auteurs like Kenneth Branagh, they step in yes. there and they, they subsume themselves for the character instead of, you know, like you don't like we've talked about this before the way you it's not Zack Snyder's Thor. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. So. And and Warner Brothers just doesn't have uh, this is my this is my parting thought i've been listening to uh the audiobook on my bike rides of mike myers canada and uh there's something that he says in the first or second chapter that really hit me and now that you've lived here for a little while you might understand what he's getting at canada is a country without a mission statement <laughs> yeah that makes sense right um and it works until things go haywire and then everybody is very worried and hand-wringing and like consternated over it and what is the right thing to do as opposed to this is the right thing to do but wait you're killing a bunch of people no it's the right thing to do exactly yeah. and warner brothers is a movie company without a mission statement <laughs> yeah it's just kind of walking around hey that looks like it's pretty nice I don't know, though. I, I, I honestly believe that uh, the intentions of Canadians are not as cynical and money-grubbing as those of a major movie corporation. But I follow the metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 Warner Brothers. Is, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the video Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, nope. But he makes this point that uh, when he asks companies sometimes, he, he's a neuropsychologist, um, when he asks companies sometimes why they do what they do, the response he gets is profit. And he goes, well, you know, <laughs> that's that's not a reason. That's that's a byproduct. Like you, you trip over profit if you're halfway good at what you do. Like, why do you get up in the morning and do what you do? Um, and I don't yeah. think I don't think Warner Brothers would have a better answer than profit. Yeah, although there is an argument to be made that even if you're a really great artist, that doesn't guarantee money unless you know somebody or unless you're in some kind of uh, apparatus, sure. but that's a whole other debate. And speaking of money, this will be the one and only time I plug anything, probably, yes. guys, I hope. Um, so I've referenced my girlfriend, Ellie, a few times on the podcast, um, who is extremely hard of hearing to the point of deaf. She is deaf in almost entirely deaf in one ear and has about 30% of her hearing in the other. And she has never bothered with hearing aids in the past because none of them would do anything to significantly improve her life experience on a day-to-day -day basis um, without um, also causing a great deal of pain and irritation and embarrassment because hearing aids used to be big and bulky and ugly. And 
cause headaches, et cetera, et cetera. But she finally decided after a terrible retail experience where she was told that if she couldn't hear the uh, cashier, that wasn't the cashier's problem and to bugger off, that she was going to try and went and got a hearing test done and got prescribed a set of hearing aids that actually do amazing things. We have gotten to watch movies while she's been demoing these for the last week and a bit uh, without subtitles, and she's been able to hear soundtracks for the first time. She sat on our front porch for two hours the other night and just listened to wind passing through the trees because she's never heard it before. Like, they're that good. Problem is, they cost eight grand, and we don't have that. And even with her, if she gets approved for every piece of funding we can find, we are still going to be about four grand short, which means a year of saving up for her to get back to the point where she can experience what she's gotten to for these last couple of weeks on the trial. So in the body of the, uh, the post for this is going to be a link to the GoFundMe that we've started to help get her to the goal. I think we're about six or seven hundred bucks raised so far. If you can help out with a few bucks, help out with a few bucks. If you can't, share the thing. We would like it so that she never has to go back to being told, if you can't hear me, that's not our problem ever again. So if you do want to help out, the uh, link for the GoFundMe is gofund.me, G-O-F-U-N-D dot M-E forward slash 370-B as in Bob, zero F as in Frank, C as in Charlie one. That's GoFundMe or GoFund.me forward slash three seven zero B zero F C one. Thanks so much guys in advance for any help that you can give Ellie. Yes, outside from the gross moral good that this is, uh, and, and I contributed because it is a awesome thing to do for another human being, if you do not contribute, if each and every one of you do not contribute and make this happen, I swear to God, I'll do 86 more episodes on the Zack Snyder Justice League. <laughs> that is a promise from God! No, I, I, that's not true. I'm never talking about Snyder again. But you should do this. You absolutely should do this because it's a good and noble cause. Thank you. All right, so we've got uh, a little less than a week before Superman and Lois is back, and we get to dive back in and see what the consequences of all this uh, uh, ex-Kryptonite happens to be in practical terms that's right well it'd be like x french t-shirt except for x kryptonite we'll get some uh we'll get some uh shutter to think going on in here but um so yeah that uh i suppose we'll pick that back up then next week and uh until then i suppose um i'm neil bailey and i'm julian finn all right we'll catch you next week folks catch you next week Well, hey there, all you super cat coes and kittens. I'm not going to ask you to like or subscribe or add us on Facebook or Twitter because, frankly, I just don't care. Julian might, but you'd have to ask him. I am, however, an independent writer of novels, comics, and reviews. I don't get paid for that, and I've been doing it steadily for 21 years. If you like what I do, and if you can, your support would mean a world of difference in my life. I have a website where you can find my books, neilbailey.com with an A in the Neil, N-E-A-L, not an I, and I have a Patreon where you can get exclusive early access to everything I do along with free copies of all my books and comics along with every new book and comic I make as they come out for the price of a coffee. Get yourself on over to www.patreon.com slash neilbailey and tell them Neil sent you. Thanks for listening.